folks, and welcome welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajimam, again, and this podcast is brought to you, among others, by Native Shark, which is an online platform for learning Japanese. And what Native Shark do is they make learning Japanese really, really simple. You log in, you click a button that says study now, and the platform then shows you exactly what you need to learn next based on your previous progress. Now, again, this is simple, but the way it's designed means that students who use Native Shark once a day for four to five months can complete the equivalent of over two years of university study. And this is not just um, them patting themselves on the back. Now that Native Shark's been in business for over a year, the results are in. So this is exactly what people are saying. Uh, just looking at the couple of posts in their community forums. And the student community, by the way, is one of the best things about the platform. So one person's writing, most productive year I've had learning Japanese. And then another one says, I've started learning over a year ago with all of these other platforms. And what I learned there is only a fraction of what I've learned on Native Shark in just three months. And then yet another one goes, in my mind, my study timeline only started with Native Shark because that's when I really started learning consistently and on and on. So yet the proofs in the pudding, it's definitely the best online course out there. And since you've heard about it here on the podcast, you also get an extra little bonus. If you sign up for their free trial uh, using the URL nativeshark.com forward slash NTI, and we'll link to it in this episode's show notes. So that's native without an E. So N-A-T-I-V shark, all one word, dot com forward slash N-T-I. You use that link to sign up and you'll get a double length free trial. So two weeks free instead of just the one. No need to put in your credit card or anything of that sort. You can just sign up, give it a shot, and chances are at the end of these two weeks, you'll already be far ahead of wherever you are with your Japanese at the moment, whether you're just starting out or you're already in knee deep. Give it a shot, nativeshark.com forward slash NTI. Okay, so for today's episode, if you've been tuning into our Clubhouse conversations in the last year or so, either directly via Clubhouse or via Facebook Live or here on the podcast and YouTube channel, you've probably become quite familiar with our Japan Real Estate Experts panel. So those are yours truly on the investment and holiday homes front, Tracy Northcott on the Minpaku and Airbnb business front, Matt Ketchum, the Akia and vacant or abandoned homes guru, and Emil Gorgis, the Tokyo family home and mortgage expert. So the four of us have been hosting the live Wednesday Clubhouse Japan Real Estate Room for quite some time now, but we've noticed that the part that most people seem to enjoy the most is actually the conversations that we have amongst ourselves between the various members of the panel. Now, couple that with the fact that often the audience on Clubhouse can be a bit shy and quiet, and they're not always keen on coming up on stage and floating their questions to the forum in a public setting. So we've decided that it may just be best for us to simply host a periodical Zoom meeting room between the four of us. And we can and will, of course, be discussing and answering questions that people have been sending in to us individually or as a group. And we'll also be happily taking uh, live questions and occasional guests, whether for Q&A or interviews and so forth. But we just thought that the live video setting that Zoom provides will probably allow for a better conversational flow. And so the weekly Clubhouse Room has now been officially converted to a weekly or bi-weekly Zoom session of the Japan Real Estate Experts panel. And today's recording is the very first session. So I hope you enjoy it. 
Uh, I was going to jump right into Q&A, but the rest of the panel suggested uh, quite wisely that we make this first one more of an introduction to who exactly the members of the experts panel are, what we each specialize in, and how we got to doing what we do today, so a bit of an origin story. And you're more than welcome to view this session on our YouTube channel if you prefer. It's actually a lot of fun to see us face-to-face -face if you're into that sort of thing. So we'll link to the video as well in this episode's show notes. But if you just type in youtube.com forward slash Japan underscore real underscore estate. So youtube.com forward slash Japan underscore real underscore estate. That'll take you straight to the channel as well. But before we dive right in there, we've got a spectacular special offer for you. Sadly, only relevant if you're in Japan at the moment, because the borders are still closed. Um, as of last week, we here at NTI have partnered with Mita Securities, which, among its other activities, also runs a hospitality property fund. And they've got a bunch of beautiful, and I mean seriously gorgeous, townhouses in Kyoto. All of them originally 100 years or older, so beautiful traditional homes that have been amazingly restored and renovated to modern standards. So think um, super luxurious onsen hot springs resort type yokan, stunning architecture and all the modern conveniences, scenic indoor or outdoor baths, spectacular dining and sitting rooms and super comfortable Japanese or Western style bedrooms, high ceilings, high speed Wi-Fi internet, kitchen, outdoor decks, Japanese gardens, the works. Now, each of these homes can comfortably house two or three families, including kids. So anywhere from one or two guests to a dozen or so. And you can rent the entire house to yourself. No other guests. You can run around naked all day if you want. Supreme Japanese-style luxury accommodation. And because there are currently no foreign tourists in Kyoto you can rent these places at ridiculously low prices. So starting at, you ready for this? Only $430 for an entire week. So that's right, luxury accommodation for two families or more, two guests or more, for as little as four, five, or $600 a week. Obviously, the longer the stay, the cheaper the rate is, but you can rent these for anywhere between one or two nights to a month or more. So it's perfect for a weekend getaway, an extended holiday, workation, family reunion, company retreat, whatever you might have in mind. And if you book these through our website, you'll also get an added bonus of one or more 3,000 yen QO cards, QUO cards. So those are gift cards that you can use all around the country in convenience stores, restaurants, various stores and lifestyle shops, you name it. The number of gift cards you'll get depends on the length of your stay, but you'll always get at least one of these if you book for our website. So if you're in Japan, or even if you're out of Japan, but you think that you'll be able to get in sometimes in the next year or two, and you've been thinking about spending some time in Kyoto, this is your chance to nab the best accommodation deal possible, seriously. So we'll link to the booking page, which also has some amazing photo galleries for each of these properties on offer. Now, they all come with a fully equipped kitchen, but you can also choose to have your meals delivered to the property, if that's your thing. The operator can arrange that for you at very reasonable prices. Um, or if you can't see the show notes for any reason, just go to our website, nippontradings.com. That's N-I-P-P-O-N, tradings with an S, all one word, nippontradings.com, forward slash kyoto-holiday-rentals. Kyoto Holiday Rentals, or just go to nippontradings.com and you'll see the Kyoto Holiday Rentals option on the top right menu bar. 
So we've already started taking bookings and some of the properties may not be available for your particular dates, but Midasex guys are super accommodating and they'll do their best to find you a spot in one of the properties for whenever you're planning your trip. So get on there, book your inquiry and take that dream holiday in Kyoto that you've been thinking about now. Okay, so without further ado, as promised, let's get right into it. Here's our very first Zoom session of the Japan Real Estate Experts panel. Enjoy, and I'll see you again on the other side. I like the, uh, you could also do a, a live music, live music. Already looking into that. We've already we've already lugged out um, PA's soundboards and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's definitely on on the move. That would be very cool. I'm definitely down for that. Well, I will let you know. I will let, ev- I will let everybody. Trust me, you will know when this. <laughs> Okay, so are we we're recording, but have we got a meal or have we lost him again? Yeah, uh, you you yeah. have me. Yeah, you have me. Okay, um, why am I not yeah. seeing you at the top banner? Yep. Okay, that's weird. There you go. All right. So, do you want to maybe float some questions that I, you've been receiving recently from people? I, I actually, actually, just before we do that, in terms of the technical side of things, are we recording this? Like, I know with, and I'm still, as you can tell, I'm still getting used to Zoom. It's not my usual. Um, chat, uh, are we doing this as like a group, like the video recording? Is it going to be sort of the gallery option version or is it going to be like just the whoever speaker pops up? Um, on my screen, I've got the four of you in small windows at the top and then whoever speaks is on a big window at the bottom. So I can see all of you, uh, but whoever speaks seems to be um, seems to be enlarged. Although now that I'm speaking, I'm not seeing myself enlarged, so I'm not sure. I can change the view though. I'm looking at. I'm. Lo- I'm basically looking at Brady Bunch. So, <laughs> I just switched to. Um, I just basically. switched to gallery mode, so I can see all of us uh, yeah, equal sizing at the moment. That that's I'm probably trying, the best, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to switch to gallery mode, but on the phone, like I had it on the. I had it. Swipe on the, it on uh, your phone. Swipe it on your phone. Yeah, no, swipe. I think it. Oh, okay, just swipe right. Yeah, there we go. There we go. That's 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 a lot better. Yeah, I didn't like the other version. Um, It'll probably record in whatever mode the recorder is on, right? So yeah. I'll probably it'll probably stick to gallery, but we'll see. We'll trial it once or twice and then decide. Yeah, yeah I think I like I like gallery option. I think that's yeah. for for the plug for the vlog, like the, the YouTube and whatnot. I yeah. think uh, I like, like this option. Um, you get to know who's who's here. Yeah, yeah. and and then. Um, you know, we can, you know, slice up, slice up the, uh, slice up the video um, as needed, or just put the whole lot. So, um, you know, we can start a YouTube channel. There we go. Yep. Okay. I plan to. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So we need we need like a we need like a cool name for this like the the JRE bunch or the the Brady I was thinking the bu- something bunch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, my, my mind's a bit numb. I, I had a workout this morning, so I'm, I'm a bit blank right now. Like I, I can talk about stuff like my my stuff that I always talk about. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, coming up with something creative right now off the top of my head is just not 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 happening. That's all right. We can do that offline. So do does anyone want to start? I got a couple of questions that I got lined up. Does anybody else have anything? Well, I, I do. I mean, I guess because this is our first sort of recorded video, it might be good just to get a baseline of what the, the various um, uh, sectors that we look after and also what the definitions are, so especially if people are watching this from overseas. 
um, you know, just to have a baseline of what um, real estate in Japan can look like in, um, you know, in the different areas. So. Yep. Yeah. Sweet. So let's do a round of introductions. We'll take it from you on the uh, top left, Tracy. From the top left. Well, well you're on my top left. I'm on my top left. Okay. So um, this is my standard uh, elevator pitch. So my name is Tracy. I've been in Japan for 20 years. Um, I'm an Australian. Uh, and I've been involved in the short-term rental industry for 10 um, I started with a single unit by accident. Uh, I, it was for needs uh, that I had too many people wanting to come and visit me in Japan, and I didn't really want to have them on a futon in my living room anymore. So uh, I looked at a way of being able to rent a second apartment and that was close to mine, and that way I could put my relatives and my friends, who I love dearly, but, you know, what they say, house guests, and uh, have the same shelf life as a dairy product so you want to keep them close but not so close um and i set it up set it up for people uh who were um you know my family and friends so they were my they were my target guests they were uh, in a bed they were needing a place to make a cup of tea some breakfast and also be close to me uh and uh, be be able to enjoy all of the benefits of, of living in tokyo so that was how I started. Um, I was just planning on uh, renting it out 50% of the time to cover my costs on uh, on the OTAs, on so Airbnb, which was the only one around that, at that time, and it just went bonkers. Um, and over the next 10 years, I built up a very large portfolio in Tokyo, um, and uh, that's been supporting my myself and my family for a long time. So... Uh, I've seen it all, really. I've seen big houses, small houses, big groups, small groups, and uh, I pretty much can answer most questions on what it's like to be a Minpaku host in Japan. So that's me. That's perfect. Tracy, when did you start um, 2000, 2000 and, uh, 2011, 2012. So um, I first learned about Airbnb in 2011. And then um, I really started kicking it off in 2012. Yeah. Cool. yeah, I started myself in 2015. When I bought my second house, we put the first one up for Airbnb, short-term rental. And yeah, it just sort of took off from there. Like those early, early teen years were, were massive um, for, yeah. for Airbnb growth. That's when you started Airbnb, I mean, or that's when you started being a, a real estate agent? Uh, the, the Airbnb yeah. in 2015. Yeah, because that, that's when I bought my second place. So I had my first house to decide whether I should put up regular rent. But we had all the furniture and Airbnb was sort of getting popular in Japan. So we thought, hey, let's just give it a go. And if it doesn't work, then we can just put it to regular rental. But we'll just try it for a few months. Um, and yeah, wow, it just, just was, yeah, as, as uh, Tracy says, bonkers. Um, completely bonkers. And it has been up until COVID. <laughs> <laughs> And how did you get into uh, real estate or when, Emil? Well, okay, so it's actually uh, the when I was looking for my first place, um, I used to work for a large IT company. Um, I met, I was looking for, you know, sort of met a few different Japanese agents. Um, and one guy I met with, uh, he showed me a place and just random online guy. Um, just really resonated well with him. He spoke English and very, very friendly, very, very honest. Um, and I really, really liked him. And he helped me a lot with the first place, but 
I didn't have permanent residency. I wasn't married then. And the only bank that would even entertain my application was um, Suruga Bank. And he worked hard to get it. And just, but the deal they came back with was, was terrible. It was like, you know, three and a half percent. Um, they wanted like all of my savings, all my cash savings in Japan and in Australia um, and just leave me with absolutely nothing. Uh, and so I was like, look, this doesn't sound good. And even he was like, yeah, look, it doesn't sound like a great, a great deal. Just wait till you get permanent residency or till you get married. Um, so then I did finally get, get married and I started looking again and I contacted him um, like that, that first guy. But then I ended up actually buying not through him, through, through someone else. Um, just because I went, was walking around and went to an open house, um, stepped into it, and that was like the that was the place. Um, but then, because uh, I learned through that process, um, what was uh, you know the, the purchasing process? Because the the agent who I actually ended up buying with uh, did not help me very much at all with with the financing. I think I, the bank I ended up using Shinsei Bank, and he just had no idea about how to deal with foreigners or anything like that. Um, so I, I had to do all the process myself. And so I eventually bought it, but then I thought, look, you know, um, at, and at this time I was heavily involved with the, um, ANZCCJ, the Australia New Zealand Chamber of Commerce in Japan. And one thing that they do is they, they hold seminars, um, like a lot of networking, um, events, but they're often seminars, educational seminars to explain certain, certain aspects or certain things to, to, um, the members. And, uh, I thought, you know what, I can do a seminar on the purchase, house purchase process, because I've just been through it myself. I was, I researched a lot. Um, it's just in my nature. That's what, that's what I do. And so I thought, why not try doing um, real estate seminars, a foreigner's guide to buying a house in Japan. Um, but obviously I can do this, but I wanted to, I needed to tie up with an agent because to give this information and then that way have an ag- a real estate agency that could follow up and do all the actual sales and and whatnot and also because i'd only done it once i'm not a licensed agent i didn't really have the full depth of knowledge i knew what i researched but uh there was that moment i knew there was like lots of gaps so i actually reached out to that first agent um ken suzuki is his name uh who uh i met that that really nice agent i met the very first time and even though i didn't buy my house through him he was such a good guy and got along with him so well, I actually reached out to him and said, look, this is my idea. Do you think we can, you know, do these sort of seminars and, and bring some some clients into you? And he was very, very, you know, positive with it. So we prepared it. We, we made like a, a, almost like a one to two hour PowerPoint presentation explaining all the ins and outs of the purchase process and whatnot in English. And I would just promote it on Facebook um, for these events. And we'd have pretty much like every month, like 10 to 50 people um, gather at his office, um, his agency, and uh, you know, him and I would present the seminar, and then end up being just myself present the seminar. And the clients would, you know, we'd get the clients, and then they'd, they'd get to meet him and as an agent and his staff, and he had English speaking staff then as well, and he still does. And uh, he would then they do all the sales and follow up and and the typical agency stuff. So my seminar is really acting just as an introduction and a way to get clients. Um, but then I found that a lot of the clients that were coming, the people who were coming um, were similar to myself in terms of, you know, I might go to a Japanese wife, I've got three young kids, they're seven, five, and three now. And a lot of the clients were coming were similar to myself looking for house, a house, like a three-bedroom house in Tokyo, similar to what, what, I, had, what I had gone through. Um, there were maybe a newly married couple or a couple with young, young children looking to start and grow their family. 
So I end up actually resonating a lot better with the clientele than the typical sales staff. And the sales staff are often just, you know, young Japanese guys or girls um, still live in a one-room apartment and not, not don't have the experience in terms of buying a family home that I did. So it just ended up being better for me to engage and do the follow-ups and pretty much the full sale process um, and on all the showings with the uh, with the clients. Um, so, th- yeah, so that's what's happened. So I, I said, look, I think, you know, this particular client or some of the clients, I would start to tag along and I'd start to do the searches and I'd start to do the showings and viewings. And I kind of just grew into, into the role, um, take over. So I still work with him now, but I'm basically there. I do the full thing. So I'll meet the clients. I'll do all the searches for them. Um, I'll discuss with them. I'll do all the viewings. Uh, and also because we're a licensed agency, we have access to the um, to uh, the, the the bank loan offices, the home loan offices at the mega banks are assigned to our agency. So uh, Mizuho, MUFJ, uh, SMBC, and Rizona, um, they have home loan centers in like Shibuya and Shinjuku. They will they actually have a home loan mortgage officer from their branch assigned to our agency. So I'm able to submit application on its behalf. Uh, and and just contact like you know if there's a question about an application or even just you know something like how much can this client borrow um, based on his income or they may be self-employed or combined incomes some of that complicated stuff I can just fax or email them um, you know in real estate in real estate faxes are still <laughs> pretty common um, I can just contact send send a scan of those documents to the uh, to our loan officer um, and then give them a call on their mobile phone five minutes later and say look that email I just sent you. Um, what do you think of this applicant? What, how much can he get, etc.? And they just tell me right over the phone, um, rather than having to go to a branch and do the formal process. So yeah, now we basically offer that that full service. Um, and recently, we've got a from earlier this year, we've got a renovation team on board. So we also do renovations. Um, so sometimes clients that are looking to buy, if it's the used place, they want to change the wallpaper, they want to change the kitchen, etc. We can also include that in our service portfolio. That's brilliant. I came onto one of your seminars at one point, Camille. You did, you did. You're very early on, I remember. Um, and we were like, oh, hey, yeah, you got some some Airbnb properties. I just got, you know, my first property on Airbnb. So, uh, yeah, I, I recall that. I think that was small. That was like still just four or five people. Um, yeah. I think in Aoyama, yeah. Now, I think the biggest we had was about 50 people at the seminar. Um, of course, now we own, like, uh, we haven't done it Um since the start of COVID because we generally meet up at our office. Um, we moved from Aoyama where you came to, to Ibis. Uh, uh, now we're between Ibis Station and Ibis Garden Place. Um, but now I'm, I've actually like, you know, we've got this YouTube thing going now, which we're just starting. So I'm also keen on doing similarly uh, the seminars on, you know, on, on Zoom or, or even like the Facebook rooms um, is one thing I'm considering. So uh, yeah, I want to get them up and running again. They're very informative for a lot of people. I also met you, I think, at a, not at a seminar, but we were both speakers at a business in Japan event, I think. We yeah, were... that's, where we, that's where we met through uh, Jason Ball. Yeah, so, I don't think uh, you were an agent there, though. You were just helping people with mortgages, right? Uh, uh, no, no, no. So I was doing um, the same kind of work. I'm, like, I've been basically doing the same work since, since then. That was maybe three years ago, is it? Maybe I'd a say. bit longer, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah but no, no, no I, was, I was pretty much doing the same the uh, the same thing because um, the, the 
yeah, I started working as, you know, with the agency and then the mortgage stuff is actually an included service in, in the agency. Yep. So yeah, I, I wasn't doing the mortgages before the, the agency it works the other way around. Um, and, and also in, in the West, we're very familiar with the concept of mortgage brokers and a mortgage broker, basically it, they get their commission from the, uh, from the banks, right. From establishing a deal in Japan that we don't actually get anything from the bank. We don't get paid, um, uh, any commission. Our commission is purely on the sale of the deal, which is the standard 3% plus 60,000 yen plus tax. Yeah. However, um, how it works is if like, you know, the, the client can try to arrange financing themselves, but there's a chance they may not do it properly, especially if it's their very first time, they may not, you know, they may take too long and miss out on the deal, or they just don't know which bank to approach. Don't, don't have the right, um, uh, you know, it, there, there's a lot of learning curve for it, but because we do it day in, day out, we can do it much more efficiently and we're a lot more confident with, um, with uh, the result, so we don't get paid for the mortgage brokering uh, part of the the deal, but it helps us secure the deal and make the sale. So that's why we um, we do it. Yep. Matt, origin story, issue number one of the comic book. <laughs> uh, so I'm Matt. I'm one half lucky in Inaka, and the whole thing started with Japan's underground rock and roll music scene. Um, very long story short, uh, just like Akia, which are the abandoned houses of Japan, mostly in rural areas, but not entirely. Um, independent music in Japan is very, very poorly organized. Um, specifically data-wise, it's next to impossible to discover things that you don't already know about, be it concerts, be it record releases, be it whatever. Um, and so, in fact, in about 2015, we started building a few platforms my other company called Kala, K-A-A-L-A, um, that analyzes physical, uh, basically cultural, like, cultures, microcultures, um, specifically focused on Japan's extreme heavy metal underground. Um, and so what a lot of people don't know is we work with over 3,000 vetted bands at this point, 851 uh, venues nationwide, 79 verified record labels. What am I forgetting? Um, a whole bunch of stuff, and basically with all of this big data on extreme underground metals, essentially what we have. Oh, it's all um, clicking for me now, Matt. This is what the goats are all about, heavy metal. and Oh, yeah, that's metal. totally related. This is why you've got the goats. <laughs> um, but basically, we understand how niche micro ecosystems work quite well and um, have developed methodologies and stuff behind that. And then, again, in about 2015, when those stories about Akia came out, so honestly, it was, to me, it was the same thing just with a different veneer as heavy metal or just underground music in Japan. It's like, well, hold up. There's this crazy story about things that aren't verified and people are throwing around some numbers, but there's no citation, blah, 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 blah. There's probably something there, but I can't tell what the hell it is. And that's stupid. I don't like that. Um, and so that's how I started digging into Akia. Uh, and so over the years, you know, I started basically just as a weekend hobby um, which is admittedly probably a very strange hobby, uh, documenting at this point with 68 data points per property, um, Akia, abandoned property, abandoned, mostly in this case, houses. Akia can be a number of things, but in this case, it was houses. 
in particular areas of Japan. Like, for example, I used to live in Miyako City in Iwate, so I was looking around there, um, and various spots that I've lived in, in Japan, so down in Shiga, uh, uh, over in Kashiwa and Chiba, obviously in Tokyo and whatnot, just to, like, you know, prove at least to myself that, all right, there's a lot of bullshit out there, but if you know how to sort through the information, you can actually find, it's kind of rare, but there are good things there. It's, the problem is that it's just, it's a bunch of static and you can't reasonably, in a reasonable amount of time, with a reasonable amount of effort, determine what is good and what is bad. Um, and so I was just kind of picking away at that for a while and then coronavirus happened. And almost immediately after that, um, I, I was running a chamber of commerce at the time. And a lot of the people that uh, I, was, I was speaking with, both in personal and professional capacities, were having similar responses to it, which is understandably, you know, like fear, anxiety, you know, I kind of want to get out of the city or at least get a second home, but I don't know what to do. I want to spend that much money on it. Maybe I don't want to make my permanent residence, but like I want options and I don't know what they are. And I'm kind of freaking out. So like, oh, what do I do? Um, and to that, I just been sort of clicked like, well, wait a minute, I might have something for you. Uh, and that's how Aki and Inaka started myself and my business partner, Parker Allen, uh, who runs a uh, PR firm called Parthenon Japan. We've done a number of projects together before, uh, decided to, you know, put on our boxing gloves again and get back in the ring. This time to try to open up, I mean, it's not a, you know, Akia versus, you know, proper real estate kind of thing. It's merely ex expansion of options, right? Um, and so, yeah, we started a little over like, like a year and a month ago. Um, and so we've been, as you well know, um, not only doing the search and kind of data sorting processes, uh, but we also partnered with a long-term um, well, kind of partner, uh, real estate partner, STK Properties, which is a subsidiary of STK Groups, which is a legal services uh, uh, provider, um, specifically, uh, obviously, with real estate, but also specifically the scrivener, scrivenership, I guess is what you could so both um, judicial as well as uh, uh, ministerial uh, scrivenership. Um, so we do the research, we do the due diligence and vetting, and then we also do the broker, well, via SDK with their um, support, we also take people through the brokerage process of the Izakio, right? And so most of them are garbage, you know, but there's at least 8.46 million of them out there. You know what I mean? So even if 1% of them are viable, that's still like not a bad number of things that you can potentially sell to the right person, which is another thing that we specialize in, you know, we don't want to just run out there and say, hey, anybody who wants cheap property, come at us. I mean, it's, it's a very niche market. And if you know what you want and you provide us with those search parameters, then we actually have had basically a 100% hit rate thus far. And so it's reasonable for us to expect that regardless of what you want, it's, we can probably find something that's close enough anyway to be within the realm of acceptability. Um, and so, yeah, we've been running that for a little over a year and a half or a year and a month. Um, and it's going pretty well. So, yeah. But, I have two I have two questions, Matt. So first of all, you're saying that Akia mostly houses. What what is the uh, you know, what is this you know, the if the Venn diagram of, of, of real estate, where does where is Akia in that? Everything. I mean there's there's anything that's literally any type of building that is abandoned technically qualifies as an Akia. Oh so okay, so Akia is the like means abandoned. 
Well, and so, this is actually something that as kind of a, a nerd, I, I sort of latch on to is that like Akia, the word, if, if you look at how it's written, it's literally like Aki is like open and then ya or uchi. House, yeah. House, specifically house, right? It's not right. Akibiru or anything, it's Akiya, right? Mm. And so it's a little, it's interesting from an objective point of view, subjectively, it's kind of annoying in that when you say Akiya, it's kind of like, well, wait a minute, actually, what are you talking about? Are you, are you talking about abandoned anything? Are you talking about a house? The Aki part of it is like abandonment and vacancy are two kind of different things, but both I, I always thought it means like vacant and not looking to be tenanted, right? Like vacant. Well, no, like Akia have man Akia can have managers. Yeah. Right. Um, sometimes they don't. Sometimes there's actual real estate firms behind them. Sometimes they're municipally administered, and sometimes they're you know the properly like oh okay that is a ghost house or whatever. <laughs> Um, and so it's it's an extremely dynamic landscape that, for whatever reason, presumably because the kind of more extreme stories are much more easy to click on, let's say, um, the, the current sort of accepted narrative is the haikyo and, you know, way out in the boonies and $500 and, you know, all of these things. Those do exist. The issue that we, and, you know, if somebody wants those, yeah, okay, we can run with that. Um, but for your typical, you know, middle-aged, metro kind of business person, you probably don't want, like, a $500 fixer-upper in the farthest reaches of Wakayama Prefecture. Yeah, they you probably you want the, something that's, like, term. 60 minutes out and pretty much turnkey and it might cost under 100000 right? And so there's an extremely wide range of what Akia can be, but the general conception and understanding of them has been geared, not maliciously, I don't think, but for, for whatever reason, the general understanding of them is this sort of haunted house, abandoned, you know, fire track kind of thing. I think that's more the clickbaity approach of it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. People buy into that, though. Like, we, Matt and I were just, um, were just both participating in a discussion on LinkedIn with somebody who, like, she really believes she can get out there and buy a $500 house and live in it. Like, this is, why wouldn't I buy it? I mean, you can. You will be a mountain person. And, <laughs> like, <laughs> if you want to get rid of all your worldly possessions and stuff, like, all right, let's do this. But, you know, also, we have fees associated with our services, which is another difference that we have um compared to kind of more traditional real estate services is that in general japan and elsewhere like real estate's kind of about highly valued property for lack of a better term and the fact of the matter is akia are not that right and so the three percent thing and a number of other things means that okay with properties at the, at and above a certain price point okay it makes sense to put in the effort and, you know, customer service and, you know, everything that goes into making the sale with, you know, normal-ish um, real estate. The fact is we're dealing with a $50,000 house. Okay, we, we got to put some consultancy fees on that because otherwise it just doesn't make any sense for us financially to do anything, yeah. right? Um, and so that's kind of, that's, I'd say right now, more than kind of that narrative that I was talking about. The thing that frequently comes up is well wait a minute hold on you know there's other real estate agents out there who'll do it for free like why would we pay for that it's like well you don't let me explain how like trying to get them help you buy a 500 dollars house out in the boonies though exactly like i'm not i'd like to think i'm a nice guy but you know i'm not that <laughs> nice. <laughs>
Yeah. Um, so that's really an interesting concept when, when um, like how pricing and billing and all of that works. But uh, yeah, we'll get into that later. Yeah. I was really interested, Matt, when, so, so I guess for people watching, because <laughs> um, everyone, everyone here actually knows, people watching, yeah, we kind of met, Matt, like so Tracy and, and Ziv and myself, I think we knew each other for kind of some time um, through, through just networking and, and whatnot. Um, but Matt, we kind of came across you, I believe, just through uh, through Clubhouse, the Clubhouse yeah. room we were regularly doing. Came up and you're like, "Oh, I do, you know, you specialize in in Akia properties," and that was very very interesting because even as an agent, I hear lots about it, but I've never actually dealt with it, and I've never known anyone to purchase it. So to have you on board as like a specialist, and it was very you know eye opening for for me as well because again like i just see the headlines and like oh these you know almost free or fifty thousand yen or hundred thousand yen like you know one thousand dollar properties out in the boonies um one it was no real interest for me because you know i'm in central tokyo and this is what i what i look for but um yeah like we we do get lots of questions and lots of inquiries and even my my sort of interest i had um you know if there's a nice beach resort or beach beach property beachfront property can get very very cheap but um, yeah, having you on board really sort of uh, brought a lot of, uh, I say, insight into um, into into that topic that you know a lot of people are very excited about. Even a lot of my clients, oh, do you know anything about these abandoned properties? Or I often get people, oh, I want I want an abandoned uh, shop in central Tokyo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really? Oh, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, no, like, yeah. So interestingly, yeah, the, the 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 Tokyo and the metro area Akia tend to be far worse than things outside physical of, condition you mean yeah just like real junkers that you probably i wouldn't buy. i live next to two there's two right beside me and yeah. so yeah they're they're next typhoon that comes through i'm expecting them to fall over they're really but really it's all bad. about the land value in those cases right you're not yeah, you're not buying like, it for the structure no what I think, I think that's what there's, again, with kind of the, the normal models associated with demolition, real estate and stuff like that, it is, it, you're right, it is the land value and also with demolition. And so if it's going to cost that however much to demolish the thing on, okay, it looks like garbage and it is probably actually garbage, um, but the costs associated with that don't at all. I mean, Tracy, I think you've been using the, the juice isn't worth the squeeze kind of thing. And so it's exacerbated in metro areas. And so you can actually expect, I, I would expect, don't quote me on this, although I guess this is on the record. Um, I would expect that city areas are probably going to become even worse with even, like just more Akia of worse condition than kind of in the suburbs, the exurbs and the actual rural districts. That's when the developers uh, sweep in and just turn the whole area into like an urban rejuvenation project and build a little uh, strip mall or what, right? Turn it into a car park. I don't know. But, I mean, but that sort of leads into a really interesting, you know, um, uh, you know, thought experiment, which is for, for us coming into Japan, um, we're so used to thinking about property as going up in value year on year. But what took you know what? What really blew my head off when I first started looking at property here was that it that basically it's a depreciable asset. That is the land value that's important, and and I think that's the biggest that's the biggest hurdle that um, foreign investors 
have to deal with when they're looking at investing in Japan. You know, what's the capital gain on the building? Well, nothing. You know, it's like a depreciable. It's like you know, you can, you know, you, you know, you can claim it on your tax as a as a, as a depreciation. That's actually um, one of the questions I've got prepared when we'll get and, to somebody asking about that. Yeah. Oh. So that I mean, that's the big. That's the biggest thing that that uh, is so. You, I don't know any other countries that that have that sort of situation where it's the land that well, holds the value. Well, well, Tracy, um, actually, so we we yeah, you you bring up a question about investing. I think we've done our introductions, but Ziv. Um, yes. Yes. Let's get Ziv. I think I think I think let's get to you and and this invest because this investment. So the tangent is, is exactly you. I love listening to you guys. And if it's going on our channel, most of our listeners just know me by now. But yeah, I'll, do, I'll make it quick. Um, so I also got into real estate uh, at about the same time I moved to Japan, which is about, uh, well, I got into real estate about a year before I moved here. Um, so we started our company in Australia. And what it was is... Um, my wife, who at the time was just my business partner, uh, I was looking for somebody to help me invest in Japan for various personal reasons. And then my wife was looking to get into international business. She was working as a um, channel manager for a few uh, Japanese companies, and she really liked working with international customers. So she wanted to start her own business and somehow be involved with them. So we started out as business partners. I wanted to invest uh, my savings into uh, any anything that would uh, that would connect me to Japan somehow. And real estate was something that I knew a little bit about because I sort of uh, inherited a house and ran it as a as a tenanted uh, cash flow home in Australia for a while. And then looked at prices and looked at uh, capital gains and cash flow and so forth. So I felt comfortable um, getting into real estate. And um, we purchased our first three uh, investment units, condo units, uh, so man mansion rooms as they're known here. Um, we bought three of those and just going through the process, especially for me um, as a foreigner, I realized how virtually impossible it is for anybody who is not residing in Japan and speaking and reading and writing fluent Japanese, how impossible the process is. Um, it's a little bit easier in, in if you're buying in uh, Tokyo, uh, maybe Central Osaka, Niseko, like places that are very internationally um, oriented just because they got a lot of international attention. But anywhere else in the country, uh, definitely in Inaka, like uh, the places that Matt is handling, but even big cities like um, uh, Nagoya, Kyoto, Fukuoka, Sapporo. I mean, there, there are a lot of places in Japan aside from Tokyo and Osaka. And even in Tokyo and Osaka, I mean, Tokyo has maybe a dozen reliable agents that foreigners can work with. There are more by the year, but the rest of the places, even Osaka has maybe five or six of them, right? So just walking someone through the process, and even if they don't, if especially if they don't live in Japan, they can't open, I mean, there's no legal limitation. Japan's the only place in Asia Pacific that doesn't have any legal limitations on foreigners purchasing property, but you can't open a bank account. So you virtually have no way to collect your rental income or pay your expenses. The property managers that you work with, 99% um, of them can't wrap their heads around the concept of receiving or sending funds overseas. And even if they do, the building management companies, if you're owning condo units or renovation companies, uh, in most places, the tax authorities, insurance companies, nobody can work with you if you're not here with the Japanese address, Japanese phone number, and, uh, and are available to receive uh, Kago calls and answer questions and, and receive postcards and go pay them at the convenience store. All of those things are just 
completely inaccessible to foreigners who are not residing in Japan. And even if they are residing in Japan, um, they are very, very challenging sometimes. So we just figured out there'd be quite a few people out there who would be interested because it is a very attractive market for all of the reasons that we've been covering and will probably be covering in the future again. Um, but they just have no access to it. So we decided to um, provide the service to them. And then we started with anything that people wanted as a rule and what people usually wanted, uh, especially because when we started, that was 2011, that was right after the uh, global financial crisis. So there were plenty of good, attractive deals to be had uh, in the States where everything came crashing down. So we had zero uh, US-based customers. So the only customers we started out with at that time were Australia and Singapore-based customers. That was, uh, and to date, that's about half of our clientele. And Australia, because it's so inaffordable and the rental yields are so very low, so cash flow is, is 3 4% maybe if you're very lucky. So most of Australia is kind of like central Tokyo or at least the attractive areas. And then uh, Singapore, just because the market there is so tiny that people are there, like from the moment they become financially savvy, they start looking overseas because there's so limited opportunities to invest in Singapore itself, especially in real estate. Um, 80% of the market, I think, is not even open to, um, to non, uh, non-passported Singaporeans. So, and they were looking for the best possible deal that they can get, the highest possible yield. And in Japan, that usually translates into... Um, tiny studio, 1R, 1K, 1DK, maybe at most uh, mansion rooms in buildings that are 30, 40, 45 years old. Um, And those out of Tokyo and Osaka were at the time starting at about 2, 3 million yen, so 30,000 US. So for the first probably four, four and a half years, that's all that we were doing. We were just churning out these cash cows, um, like a a dozen or so a month. Um, at some point, as the uh, global economy recovered, people were kind of more comfortable with slightly lower yields and slightly higher end properties. And also we became less comfortable with doing the same amount of work for a very low percentage of the property price. So if we were charging um, 5% on a 2 million yen property, that was like $500 a deal. And it it's exactly the same amount of work as selling an eight-unit building for half a million dollars. So we ended up, that, that's why I, I found Matt's, um, Matt's comment about pricing very interesting. So we ended up, we're not av- actively avoiding the cheaper deals, but we did have to set a certain minimum um, that even if the property you're buying costs 3000 bucks, and we don't deal in Akia specifically, but we do definitely help people, for example, buy... Um, uh, ski condo units, right? In some of the um, some of the ski resorts up in Nagano or Niigata, there are people selling them for similar prices, right? For three thousand, five thousand, ten thousand bucks, just because they don't want to pay the monthly condo fees anymore. And um, so we can't we can't charge five percent of that. So we've set our minimums at a, at a certain point, and we've also set a, a minimum management portfolio management fee that we're going to charge. So it is based on a percentage of the gross rent, but there is a minimum. Like we're not going to be charging you less than 30 bucks a month to manage a property for you. And that sort of helped us just naturally shift towards properties that we're more interested in dealing in, uh, which is what we do. So we help people buy either investment properties um, or holiday homes or land for development or commercial properties. Uh, wherever they want in Japan, basically. Um, most of them, 
normally don't go towards Tokyo and Osaka just because prices there are a bit inflated and returns are pretty low. Although during Corona, that has improved a little bit. Um, so we mostly deal in other areas of Japan, but we do occasionally do um, Tokyo and Osaka as well. And we've been doing it for about 10 years now. So, yeah. That's really interesting. Go ahead. I was just going to say, that's really interesting. I do have one question about um, the, uh, the ski resort, because I looked at that a couple of years ago, and it just seemed that, you know, any of the taxes that hadn't been paid, they needed to be paid before you could take, or is that, or the... Uh, taxes. Matt, Matt has an opinion. Yeah, so that, that's not what you... Taxes, you mean? Taxes or the, the, the if the say if those management monthly, fee. if those monthly management fees hadn't been paid for five years, then before you could actually get the title, you would have to actually pay like pay, back pay. Yeah, but usually unpaid. there'd be an agreement with the seller saying that from the sale proceeds, they're then obliged to pay the um, the outstanding mm-hmm. taxes, and if not, then they'll have to take it off the price. So it practically does come down to them giving them away at some point. Uh, in many cases, unless it's a particularly um, popular resort or, or very nice property, in which case it just gains a normal price. And you're yeah. you're likely also, maybe not in every case, but very often, those are going to be the K-by um, auctions, uh, which are considerably more difficult to deal yeah, with. Wait, we don't deal in those at all. They're very time-consuming and yeah, we do, cat in the bag kind of deal. We do, but we charge out the ass for it. And in fact, we've got um, two clients right now that are a little bit, I mean, you know, if you got the money for it, all right, but that doesn't mean you're not stupid. <laughs> you know you're going on the record with this one right yeah yeah, yeah. well i mean more fun fun about this. like if you want to go the k-by route okay but it's a minefield and about being more options yeah yeah why just quickly explain what k-by means to uh so it's foreclosure options more or less Right. And so there's and this is a very frustrating, but also interesting thing about, you know, Akia and just like non-standard property is that, again, those super cheap prices like totally are attractive until you bother doing your research, you know, and then you realize, oh, boy, there's another 50 million yen that I'm going to have to pay on back taxes or whatever. Yeah. Um, and with the with the um, the auction stuff, that is just exceedingly. Uh, on the face of it, it can be very attractive because number one, prices are super low, and number two, more often than not, they're even more confusing documentation than just like regular Akia. And so you really can't easily dig into what's going on with the auctions. On top of that, you also are necessarily buying sight unseen, right? So it's like if you like putting up a lot of money that you have no guarantee of any kind of return on, then all right, cool, we can do it. Um, it sort of remi- reminds me of those. Have you ever seen those uh, Discovery Channel um, uh, auctions where they do storage, uh, like a storage shed, and it's like basically like you can't even see inside. You just have to bid and hope that you're going to be able to make money off it. So that's really what it sounds that's like. That's precisely what it is. Well, sometimes door number two kind of deal, really. Yeah. And sometimes there are wins. You can, you can like, stand to benefit from it. But, gen- I mean, I don't think I will, at least at this point, I have never felt the desire or need or obligation or anything to direct potential or active clients towards, like, oh, hey, there's also options over here. Because that's another thing, too, is the auctions are not at all listed along with pretty much all other listings. They're in a separate system. 
right? also a closed auction system, right? Like you put your number on a note kind of thing and you don't, you can't just raise your bid or whatever until you- For the most part, yeah. For the most part, yeah. So, I mean, you, the amount of time that you'd be wasting just submitting offers on 20,000 of them before you get the one that you actually win at the right price. Yeah, I mean, on average, we're charging about 20X of bid price just for our services <laughs> in order to do it. Because like you say, it is one hell of a job to even get a bid in and not even win, right? Um, so again, if you got the money for it, sure, we'll take your money, but you probably should prepare yourself for. <laughs> there was a company in Tokyo, uh, Sleepwell Homes, I think they were called. They were specializing in, uh, in exactly that, in court auctions. I'm not sure if they're still operating or not. Huh? I would be, I, I would want to look into their operation, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Uh, it's, that market is exceedingly weird and unstable. Yeah. So my understanding of how the the blind auctions work is, you know, so the, there's a foreclosed property and there'll be a listed minimum offer price. So let's say it's 3 million yen, well, it depends on property, 3 million yen. And if you want to go in and make an offer, you go and you write down your bid. It's got to be more than 3 million, but you don't know what anyone else has bid. So you can say 3.5 million yen is your bid. Um, but someone else can come and be do a, something for 5 million yen, right? You have no idea. So maybe you just say you, you come in, you put in, you know, 3.5 and no one else's bid. You'll win it, but you paid, you know, 0.5 million more than what you kind of could have gotten it for. Yeah, but it's it's, it's, yeah right. It's, it's, I just find the time it takes, like this is your one, like, I, I have like a, my, my thought on this process is similar to what I tell people who actually try to buy just a cheap, a cheap property in Tokyo. They want to get a good deal. Um, and, you know, usually properties ideal in, in, in Tokyo, are, you know, 50 million yen, 10 yen, so five to maybe like one point. Three, it's 130 million yen, so 1.3 million dollars is kind of what that the range is frequently, right? So you know we we don't like we just charge your standard commission rates, and that's generally <laughs> sufficient. But sometimes, like we have a developer that's gotten you know that's cut up like four or five properties. Uh, so cut up one like gotten one build one block of land, torn down the property, and is putting four or five properties on there. Generally, they start quite high with the pricing. And as they sell some of them, et cetera, and they end up with just maybe one property left, that's when they really start decreasing the price. Yeah. And some people uh, think, oh, they want the best deal. They want to get it as cheap as possible when it's as cheap as possible. But there's a reason that's the last property to be sold, right, in the block. The best ones get will get sold early on, generally pre-construction, um, at, at the maximum price. And the reason that happens is because it's, you know, it's the most so people that are going to spend you know thousand dollars on their property they want to get the right property and even if they have to pay the premium for it they don't want to get the fourth or first fifth the best one to save just to save three million yen right they'd rather pay the three million or five million yen extra and get the best one the one with the best light the best driveway the biggest frontage etc in that complex um and I find that, yeah, if, when you're actually doing your search, 
if you when you get familiar with what you want, um, it's probably better to pay a bit of a premium, jump in quickly and get the one you want because this is where you're going to live for the next two decades. This is where you're going to raise your family um, in terms of my clientele in general. Um, and I, I actually find, to be honest, people that are, when they start the, the search process for their own personal home, they start to realize that. Everyone wants to come on early with the mindset that they want to get a good deal, but they realize if they're searching the good deal, they may miss out on the right property. Yeah, I, I've, I've said recently, uh, like I, I found a one yen property, a one yen house, right? Of course, the land, the land was for rental. The land was rental. The house was one yen, and you had to have a 50-year lease. Um, but it's like, I will totally hunt for good deals on like apples or, I don't know, a bicycle or something, right? But like you just said, this is a house that you're going to be living, presumably, you know, raising a family and a bunch of sort of important stuff. Like if your main concern is getting a deal on that, I don't know. Like I feel a little bit like maybe your your priorities are a little bit misaligned. I mean, and to, to be fair, don't forget that like we keep saying on the um, on the public meetings, like the criteria that you're looking for when you're buying a home to live in and the criteria that you're looking for an investment property. And then again, the criteria you're looking on for short-term state property, they're completely di different, right? right? Like that, like we always tell our customers that, you know, the, the properties that you're going to be buying, if you want to make good cash flow are going to be strictly investment properties. And just in the sense that, the person who's living in them will never be able to afford to buy them. And the person who can afford to buy them will never want to live in them, right? Like they're completely different kettles of fish. You can't even, you can't even look at them from the same criteria and they're priced differently. The, the price that they'll command when you try to resell them will be based on completely different fundamentals. So there are good deals to be had in a sense, if you're looking for investment properties, but we also have our, um, bottom of the barrel kind of thing like it's like you know the, the listing agents put on the um websites and um i know i, I feel safe saying this next to you emil because you don't deal in investment properties usually but some of the listing agents that um that list out investment properties the you know, 15 percent, 25 percent, 23 percent, and it's generating this yeah, at the moment, and one month later, when your tenant moves out, sealed, yeah. stand empty for sealed. a decade, it's not going to be generating anything, right? It's just, it's ridiculous. It, it looks like a good deal on paper, but it's not It's not in reality. Which is another good thing, just briefly, about the whole Akia situation. By and large, that is not an investment, unless it's a lifestyle investment, then okay, we can yeah. absolutely talk. But so far as financial investments... Um, there are ways to do it, but generally speaking, we don't really touch on that just because, again, they they're already depreciated um, and this, that, and the other things. So, so, again, if it's a lifestyle thing, yeah, there's a lot of really cool stuff you can do. But if you're expecting, you know, 15% returns and, you know, all of this stuff, like you're barking up the wrong tree, at least currently. Well, it is doable as a business lifestyle thing, right? Like if you're planning to run a business. Absolutely. Yeah. Right, right, right. But you're not going to get a rental income to justify the purchase from uh, somewhere out in the countryside, are you? I, I would love. I would be very interested in meeting a person who successfully did that. I I, I can't imagine <laughs> how we can go about that. Yeah. What What I find is I have often clients that are they want one property to do both. They're like, I want it to be a good investment, but when I you know 
whenever I come back to Japan, I want to use it as my base. And I'm well, I you probably what's going to be a good investment, um, you know, is going to be rented for the most part a typical Japanese rental, right? So you have a a, a, a renewable rent, rental contract that renews every two years. On the timing that you want to come back, you cannot just evict the, the tenants. Tenancy laws are very, very strict in yeah. Japan. You yeah. can't kick them out. Even during renewal time, you can't kick them out unless it's a fixed-term lease. But the typical, um, the, the Futsu Keiaku, regular ke- uh, contracts, uh, they, you, um, they automatically uh, renew um, unless the tenant doesn't want to, but the uh, landlord cannot say, I'm not going to renew this. So it's very hard for someone to use it as their regular base. If they want to do that, that's when someone like Tracy, um, Tracy service is, is good because then you can just use it as a as your main as your main property when you're in Japan and when you're away, right? Um, have it for short term, like monthly monthly contracts, etc. But it's not going to be the same as a straight up investment. It's not an investment. Uh, I mean, you'd be covering your to, costs, right? You're not really going to be making money off it. it yeah, it, yeah. Yeah, it's like you've got a holiday house or you've got a, a property for you to use. And whilst you're not there, you're generating extra income to cover some costs. But yeah. you wouldn't assess it as a pure investment um, uh, asset as what you traditionally do then. But I mean, the other thing is, is when you, um, you're also investing in your monthly cash flow. So if you're buying something, so buying something for yourself to live in, um, uh, you know, often you're paying less in your mortgage fees than you are in your, um, than, than you would be on paying a normal rental fee. So um, so that's why I think that the if you're buying property in Japan, it is really for your month-to-month, um, you know, cash position rather than a long-term, you know, long-term capital gain, which just doesn't happen here. Like we said before, it's all depreciable. Um, but, um, you know, but if you've got a bunch of well, bunch I, of money that you need to park, I mean, this is a good place to park it. So. Yeah. Mm. Definitely. Um, but but I just want to, like, just, just, you know, you, yeah, yeah, I'm Tracy, like, you, you jumped, uh, you, you touched on a, a good topic, and that's the cash flow and the, the cost of buying um especially like I said my, my focus is personal homes and and first and you know we talked about mm-hmm. akia and what people hear about akia the myths or idea that you can get something for free almost etc um with with the home purchases personal home purchases similarly there's a lot of like misconceptions with it but one of the ideas that people come like hear about when they're new in japan and they hear about real estate is you interest rates are like almost 0%, 0.5%, 0.7%. They hear these numbers and go, hold on, is it even true? Can I get that? Um, the beautiful thing is, yes, it is true. You Like our general home loans we get, are, you know, the cheaper ones are 0.45% and the more expensive ones, maybe 0.7%. Um, and so, yes, that's very, very realistic. And also with no money down, you can get 100% financing for that only for Um, owner occupied properties and only for residents right yeah personal yeah for your personal home loan so it's a you live in japan you're employed here and you want to buy a place for you to live in i think we lost emil ah he's 
So you get hundred I'm here. Oh, you are here. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Um. Um. All right. Yeah. So I'll just repeat that. Yeah. So you can generally get the hundred percent or even one hundred and five percent financing. So in Japan, the term one hundred and five percent refers to the hundred percent the property value plus about five percent of closing costs. So I think in other countries they call it like a zero money down. So with absolutely no money down, no deposit, anything like that, the bank will pay all of it, and your interest rate is about zero point five to zero point seven percent variable. But it's been at that same rate for about thirteen or fourteen years now. Um, so there's not going to be like large fluctuations. Uh, yeah. So with those kind of rates, only about over the thirty-five year loan term, only about fifteen percent of the property value is interest. So if you buy a million dollar property. After 35 years, you've paid 1.15 million yen back to the bank. So the interest is very, very low. Whereas in in Australia, you're basically paying double. Mm-hmm. When you have 4% interest, um, it's going to be $2 million. So the home deals are really, really good, which is why, as Tracy was saying, um, the cost that what makes purchasing a property in Japan very, very good is that the interest is so low that you're basically paying mostly principal, right? The cash flow, you're, it's a forced saving. You pay down the equity. Um, and similarly, rental returns in Tokyo are about 4.5% gross. Maybe you can get, you know, 6%, et cetera. Um, but I think, Ziv, you can probably speak to this a bit more. There are some prefectures, if you go outside of Japan or other places. What, what kind of gross, um, or I guess you, you work in that more often, what kind of net returns do you look at for your investment properties? Yeah, so we don't even look at gross because, um, I mean, we, we do look at gross versus net if somebody's buying an entire structure and then there's no building fees. But if, you, if you're buying individual units, mansion rooms, uh, condo units, um, the gross and the net are so farly divorced from each other that it doesn't even make sense because your building fees could be anywhere from 10% to 35% of the gross rental income. So it doesn't really make sense looking at the gross. And we usually look at net pre-tax. So including all of the purchase costs and all of the known running costs and excluding the unknowns. So we don't know what your individual income or corporate tax scenario is. We don't know uh, what sort of vacancies or um, maintenance fees you're going to be running into. Mm -hmm. Um, We can average these out over uh, a larger portfolio in an extended period of time. But if you're buying one unit, you might have a tenant move out after a month, and that could be after a 15-year tenancy, and you'll be up for a million yen in renovation fees, or you could have nothing happen for five years after purchase. So Net pre-tax out of Tokyo, you can get as high, reasonably as high as maybe eight, eight and a half percent in some smaller prefectural capital satellite cities and other big cities, maybe six percent net pre-tax like uh, Fukuoka, Nagoya, the outskirts of Osaka, Yokohama, maybe six percent net pre-tax. But in Tokyo, like you said, it's six percent growth. So that roughly translates into four percent net if you're lucky and it's not very attractive most people can get that in their backyard more like four and a half percent in tokyo four percent four and a half percent gross is what yeah in central tokyo yeah fantastic yeah 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 like i mean like um yeah within the yeah pretty close like in in minato within the yamanate line etc 
Yeah, I've been looking this week at something, stuff around Setagaya, and that was the most I saw there was 3.8 net before tax. So that's probably five, five or six percent growth. But I know, um, Matt, Matt, you got to go, you said soon. So um, we yeah. might call it a day for today and uh, we'll get into the questions next week. Sounds good. Yeah, sure, that's it, was, good. it was good. So it's been a blast. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. What, what, yeah, I'm going to put this up on my channels, and uh, and uh, if you're watching this, um, then send us a uh, send us a uh, a question by email, and then we can read it out. Yes, mention your name do if you want, and we can even have you on the show to ask it. Oh yes! Oh, you can <laughs> like and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let's um, yeah, please uh, put that email addresses at the bottom. So if you want to reach out to us, so if you're looking for personal home like your personal home purchases in tokyo um questions about financing etc then yeah reach out to me um, emil um and, and uh, for anything sort of short-term rental airbnb kind of uh style related stuff property management um on that that side of front then tracy is your person um investment properties um around japan all over japan then zib is your guy and then akia your questions related to akia um matt ketchum is of uh, akia inaka that's us. Is a is a person to speak to. How about something like Jared, Japan real estate? Discussion? I know a bunch of Jareds though. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, we'll walk out the name by next time. <laughs> yeah, we'll be there. Yeah, right. yeah. There's a funny thing they say. They say you don't know who um until uh, you don't remember. You don't realize how many people you dislike until you have to name your child. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <ouch. laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> All right, that was loads of fun, wasn't it? Now, we'll definitely try to have these on a regular basis from here on, either weekly or bi-weekly, depending on how busy we, uh, we are with the content for the podcast, as mentioned. And if you've got any questions that you'd like us to dive into and answer or discuss for you, don't be shy. Send them our way, either via email, info at nippontradings.com, or in the comments section or wherever you might have found this episode. We'd love to answer your questions for you. And if you're interested, you're also more than welcome to come and join us live. Well, live at the time of recording on our next Zoom session. We would love to have you with us. And again, just a quick reminder that fabulous, luxurious Kyoto holiday home is waiting for you and your loved one, your family, your friends. Get onto our website, nippontradings.com. Click on the Kyoto holiday rentals link and submit your booking today from as low as $430 a week. Simply unbelievable pricing for any accommodation, let alone anything as luxurious as that. And really check out the photo galleries. You won't believe it. Those properties are absolutely stunning. Now, before we go, we're also as always going to tell you and also link to our other sponsor's website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis or you are already in Japan on some sort of a more temporary visa and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, and also if you're considering setting up a local company or branch office of a foreign company and you've got any sort of business or visa-related inquiry, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com and he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners and our clients. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com 
all one word, and you'll be well on your way. And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think. So leave us a short rating review on the iTunes store, on Spotify, wherever you're tuning in from. Or just drop us a line in the comment section of wherever you might have found this episode. We love hearing from you. Hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoroshiku. Thank you.